Okay, okay. gentlemen. Um, let's have a quick look at a, an idea from our parasha, parasha Pinchas. So the Torah introduces um, us to the aftermath of Pinchas's uh, zealotry, which is recorded at the end of Parshat Balak, where Bayar Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Kohen, Bayakom mitocha Aida, Bayakach Romach biado. He takes a, a, a spear in his hand. Bayavo achar Ish Yisrael elakuba. Bayit Korach nehem eight Ish Yisrael veit Aishal kovata. But he atzara magayva meal ben Yisrael. This is the last chip sukim of Parshat Balak. And he, he kills, uh, he spears both um, Zimri and Cosby to death. And as a result, he, uh, he stops the plague that had began to, sp- began to spread. Um, and um, he essentially stopped it spreading over 24,000 people. And as a result of what he did, so the parasha, our parasha begins, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Arona Kohen, he basically... Um, Akosh Baruch then speaks to him and gives him this big schar, this big reward. And he says, Pinchas bin Lazar bin Aron HaKohein, Neshiv and Chamati Ba'amad Yisrael, that he, uh, he was able to reverse the effects of Akosh Baruch's anger from Kal Yisrael. Uh, he's able to stop it. Bekanoet Kinati Betocham, when he uh, employs zealotry, uh, a zealous type behavior, um, in order to stop the plague. Velochilite Bnei Yisrael Bekinati. And as a result of his zealotry, there's kind of an irony here that uh, somebody who uh, uses zealotry with uh, the Shem Shemaim at the right place, at the right time, the right person, they can actually bring, bring, uh, bring Shalom, peace. And uh, in this case, Akosh Baruch Hu, uh, stood up for Pinchas and um, people might have, uh, might have been willing to attack him or or, 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 you know, essentially sue him for the kind of action that he did. But Akosh Baruch Hu put a stop to it straight away. And um, he gave him this reward, that he would become a Kohen. And um, he would, uh, all his children would, would now be functionaries in the Beit Hamidash, like every other normal Kohen. Why? Because, uh, for he uh, showed zealotry in the correct way and atoned for, for Amisra. So that's the, the story we know well, coming straight out of the, out of the parasha. Now, what's interesting is uh, the contrast we're going to draw here uh, between how Akosh Baruch Hu responds to Pinchas, where Pinchas uses, uh, you know, you know, it's a, it's a kind of self-defense, but it would, you know, you really need to prove it as self-defense. More it's like defense in the sense that he defends Kalisra from being destroyed. But it's really an aggressive streak here that he's giving expression to. And yet, Akosh Baruch rewards Pinchas. The question now is, how do we understand this in contrast to David HaMelech? So we know that David HaMelech fought more wars probably than any other king uh, on behalf of Akosh Baruch Hu and Am Yisrael. And um, he was probably the most successful, you know, king, warrior king that Am Yisrael ever had. And um, as we know well, when David HaMelech came along to try and um, motivate Akosh Baruch Hu to give him permission 
you know, to build uh, the Beit HaMikdash, Akash uh, Baruch Hu said no. And Akash Baruch Hu said to, to David HaMelech, you know, that since you had spilled so much blood, you got so much blood on your hands, you know, you're not able to, you're not able to build the Beit HaMikdash, and instead it would be uh, left to his son Shlomo to build the Beit HaMikdash. What, what do we think the difference may be between David HaMelech and Pinchas? In both cases, you had, you know, you had violence, L'Shem Shemayim, um, you know, the right place at the right time. Uh, David HaMelech wasn't really taken down um, because, was David HaMelech taken down because he, he killed people um, not correctly, and therefore it was those people that David HaMelech um, had killed that Akash Baruch was holding him accountable for. We spoke this out quite a long time ago, uh, and we used that particular theory to try and demonstrate how David Amelech, um, David Amelech's death was is, is recorded in the in Shas in the Gemara, and uh, we spoke about the fact that uh, David Amelech um, tripped over a step when he was uh, on the, on the day that he was destined to die, and as he tripped, he stopped learning, and the Malach Hamoves was able to get him, and we made use of the Chidush that um, Jonas and Ibishitz had, and I remember I remember sending them a korot over from uh, Rav Bernstein Safer on Brochus, Rabbi Isaac Bernstein's at all. Anyway, he, we were all, that that whole essay was essentially um, using this Gemara to yes explain why David Amelech you know died like that and possibly why he wasn't able to build the Beit Hamikdash. Because there were certain things that David Amelech did that um, that that cost him, and uh, and one of the things that he did was that he went to war when he shouldn't have gone to war, and that was brought down there by Rav Yonason Ibishitz. And uh, so, when you know, if we take that whole theory and we ask our question, you know, what is the nafkamina between David Amelech and Pinchas? That particular theory answers that David Amelech did something wrong. That he went to war in one or two instances, you know, not in not not with the blessing of Akosh Baruch Hu. and um, even if there were technical reasons to defend David Amelech and that he wouldn't be guilty of murder, but it wasn't uh, it it wasn't um, with the blessing of Akosh Baruch Hu. and therefore Hashem holds him accountable. And when the pasuk tells us in Divrayamim and other places that that uh, you know. David Amelech cannot build the Beit Hamidrash because he has blood on his hands. This is the this is the blood that uh, you know that we're talking about. I'm just going to quickly turn to to Divrayamim and read out the pasuk in the original. Um, so it's Divrayamim Aleph, Perek Chav Beis. Let's see what the just read out the pasuk to you. Um, Yeah, so the the psukim here, pasuk zayin, pasuk zayin chet and tet in divrayamim aleph pasuk chavbet. So here, David Amelech is telling Shlomo, "Vayomer David lishlomo b'ni ani ayah im levavil if not bite the shem Hashem elokai." You know, he, all I lived for was to, uh, you know, my heart was driven for. To build the Beit Hamidash, but Hashem came to me and told me, "Dam la Rov Shafachta, you have shed much blood." 
ומלחמות גדולות עשית, and engaged in many battles, many wars, and as a result, לא תבנה בית, בית לשמי, כי דמים רבים שפכת, ארצה לפניי. Essentially, it means that you have shed much blood upon the ground before me. הנה, הקדוש ברוך הוא טול דוד המלך, הנה ואין נולד לך, you're going to have a child, הוא יהיה איש מנוחה. He will be a child of, of, of peace. ואניחותי לו מכל אויביו מסביב. And will give him rest from all his enemies uh, that surround him. כי שלמה יהיה שמו. הקדוש ברוך הוא ראי טול דוד המלך what to call him. שלמה, I guess from the name שלום, ושלום ושקט אתן על ישראל בימיו. והוא יבנה בית לשמי, והוא יהיה לי לבין, ואני לא לאב. ואחינותי כיסא עם מלכותו על ישראל עד עולם. And I'll establish the throne of his kingdom over Am Yisrael forever. That's, uh, that's the recording of the, of the reaction of Akosh Baruch Hu to David HaMelech's desire to build a Beit HaMikdash. Okay, so again, looking to try and distinguish between Pinchas and David HaMelech, both using zeal, uh, both ending in, if we can call it violence, even the same Shamaim. Pinchas is rewarded to become a functionary in the Beit HaMikdash. David HaMelech isn't. And the theory that we just quoted now is telling us that David HaMelech um, made mistakes in certain areas. Um, and there were maybe one or two areas there uh, of, of, of attack that David HaMelech was, had, had, a, had personal bias in and, um, and therefore it wasn't L'Shem Shamayim fully and Akash Baruch was holding him accountable. Now, the question is as follows. The theory and we understand, but it is an, it is it is a question as whether the 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 so-called um, misdeeds of war that David Amelech entered into really fit the expression of the pasuk. The the pasukim start to tell us as follows that you know dam la rov shafachta umilchamot kedolot asita. That sounds like a little bit more than just sending Uriah into battle. And having him killed and the various people that went with him that were casualties at the time. Meaning, you know, that's number one. Number two, the other wars that David Amelech entered into was to try and uh, conquer land from people that may have been a threat to Klal Israel. Um, and as a result of conquering the, the wars, there were natural resources there, possibly spoils from the war itself that could finance. David HaMelech's quest to build the Beit HaMikdash. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of money that he had, he had had, he'd, uh, he'd sort of made over the years. The kingdom was very wealthy and he put a lot of the money aside. But times then changed and the tides turned where Amisol were not doing so well from their own financial uh, benefit and they needed the financial support of the government. And David HaMelech, Uh, refused to let the support come to the people. In other words, he refused to give them JobKeeper because he, he, he had designated the money to build the Beit HaMikdash. And uh, as, as a result of that, he said, okay, look, you need some more money. I'm not giving you money from the Beit HaMikdash account. Attack, attack a settlement, a city, a place which may have been threatening to us or may, you know, and, 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 and the spoils of war Uh, well, the resources from that particular place will uh, will help will help alleviate 
the financial problems of Klal Yisrael. So again, there's another example. But again, it doesn't sound like what the Pasuk over here is talking about. In other words, um, it sounds like David HaMelech's total set of exploits, where you say, Damna, Rosh, Shafachta, or Milchamot, Gedolot, Asita, these weren't Milchamot, Gedolot that, that, that we've just described. These are like, you know, these are like little wars. These are like, you know, this is like practice, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, didn't, didn't go and fight a huge campaign over here. Um, so therefore, there might be a sort of a a weak link there, you know, an Achilles in terms of that shot that that uh, others have quoted that Akosh Baruch held David Amelech accountable and he wouldn't be able to build the Beit Tamidas because of what he did in those two incidences that that we know of. Um, but okay, I wouldn't say it's a complete refutation, but it definitely it definitely asks the question. You have to work quite hard, you know, to to fit those two wars uh, that David HaMelech engaged in as being, you know, you know, you, uh, again, uh, it's not a complete refutation. You could simply say that, you know, because Baruch Hu considers it like, as, you know, you, you you kill somebody that's not 100% uh, even if the technicalities that allow you to do so, you know, maybe that's considered in Akosh Baruch Hu's eyes as, uh, you know, maybe. Maybe. However, let's try and see from uh, another point of view, you know, if we can develop a theory. And uh, sort of Aitchik developed this particular theory um, with, uh, you know, to distinguish between David Amelech and, uh, and, 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 and Pinchas. Now, it's actually that I saw the original idea uh, not in the, not in the shear of Rav Aitchik, but I saw the idea in the Orachim Kadosh um which gave us a, another another angle but the rov uses it over here um to uh, you know to explain this particular set of psukim in, in Dibrayamim with regard to David Amelech. so um this is this is the the approach uh asks the question with regard to uh Moshe Rabbeinu being punished and uh and not allowing, not, not being allowed into, into Eretz Israel. Now, the Pashat Pshat, the simple interpretation is that David Amelech, that, that Moshe Rabbeinu himself sinned. And therefore, and you know, he, he Aaron and Miriam uh, were all caught up in a certain, uh, you know, certain areas where it, the punishment was not to go into Eretz Israel. And so by the main river in Pashat Chukat, that's where, you know, Moshe and Aaron were, we're told they weren't going to enter into 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 what you call interior Israel. Now, what's interesting is is that um, according to the Orachayim, what happens is that there is an angle to suggest that Moshe Rabbeinu tells you in Sefer Devarim that Akosh Baruch Hu kept him out of Eretz Israel because of Am Israel. He uses, he uses this phrase, and we, we've spoken about it before, Big Lalchem, Abu Rechem, Akosh Baruch Hu, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he, when, he, when he revises the history, he wants to let Am Yisrael know that the reason he wasn't allowed into Israel is because of the, of, of the sins of Kal Yisrael. What happened to Pasha Chukat and Maimarivah, where, where he got into trouble with the water scenario, uh, that's what the Torah tells us. Well, how does Moshe Rabbeinu himself blame Kal Yisrael? And so, and so, um, 
Chaim suggests as follows, and that is that Moshe Rabbeinu was not allowed to cross into Eretz Israel because of Am Yisrael's lack of spiritual level. Because if Moshe Rabbeinu would have crossed into Eretz Israel and been Mekadesh, he would have sanctified the land of Israel with Kedusha. Moshe Rabbeinu's koyach was so strong that Eretz Israel would have been sanctified with an eternal Kedusha, not a temporary Kedusha. And if, if he would have been able to then sanctify with an eternal Kedusha, no koach would have been able to drive out Am Yisrael out of, you know, out of Eretz Yisrael. And Akosh Baruch Hu, through his Ashgocha, had, had uh, worked it differently. And that is that if uh, no one would have been, no, if the Beit HaMizash would not have been able to be destroyed, it could be that there will be millions more casualties than there were in the people of Klal Yisrael, because Am Yisrael unfortunately had to be punished, and Ashgocha decides how. And yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu, his koyach would have uh, not allowed Akosh Baruch Hu, in a way, would have protected the Beit Amidash from being a collateral, um, you know, in the punishment of Klal Yisrael, and Akosh Baruch would have taken out his anger on the, on the so-called, um, on the people, and not on the stones of the Beit Amidash. And therefore, since Ashgocha needed, so to speak, the Beit Amidash as collateral, that's why Moshe Rabbeinu died before entering into Eretz Israel. And this is maybe what Moshe Rabbeinu had in mind when he told the people. He said, you should know the real reason that I wasn't able to go across the land, across the Avayardane and set it up, was because if I would have crossed into Eretz Israel, then the whole destiny of Am Yisrael would have been different. And Akosh Baruch Hu, didn't work with that plan because you as a as a tzibur, you as Am Yisrael had, had, had dropped significantly in your spiritual level and weren't worthy of a messianic era uh, in by Moshe Rabbeinu. And um, bottom line was Yoshua, you know, led everybody into Israel, and Yoshua's conquest uh, was of a less type of sanctity than Moshe Rabbeinu's would have been, and then and therefore. And therefore, um, the Beit HaMidash could be destroyed. If Moshe Rabbeinu would have gone in, the Beit HaMidash wouldn't have been able to be destroyed, and the people themselves would have been casualties as a result. That's the Orachayim, that's where I saw in Orachayim, this, this space, this Chibush. Now, what we know about David HaMelech is, we could suggest, and this is what the Rav says, he suggests a similar approach to David HaMelech. Now, the wars that David Amelech fought. Yeah, we're going to take a different angle to what we said before. You know, David Amelech, David Amelech gave his life for Klal Yisrael. He was Muslim Nefesh. And, uh, and therefore, because you put your life on, on, on the line, like David Amelech did in all these wars, so should this, this Masirut Nefesh, should have been uh, an asset, not a liability for David Amelech. Uh, and the fact that he that he fought so well and that he destroyed the enemies of Klal Yisrael, it should have been like Pinchas, and he should have been able to build the Beit Hamikdash. Um, so the the achdus that David Amelech had generated among the people, and and all of his 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 Sirut Nefesh, he he really did deserve to build the Beit Hamikdash. He he fought all the Milchamot Hashem. Now when the pasuk says Dam Larov Shafachta, that you that you you know Lefanai, where you 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 spilt much blood in my in my eyes or in my sight, you know what what does that what does that mean? 
it sounds like it means that it, it's not murder. It's, it's it's he's done he's done a he's done a mitzvah. You know, you fought you fought the the wars that Akash Baruch commanded. They were all milchamot mitzvah. Akash Baruch commanded them. You know, so if Akash Baruch commanded David Amelech, why do you disqualify him to build to build to be the builder of the Beit Hamidash? If it's lefanai, lefanai implies a, a type of a korban that that mamish uh, it came before Akash Baruch as a as a legitimate korban that David Amelech offered, so to speak. Um, you know, so why is it wrong for David Amelech to have done what he did? Why, uh, you know, he built up he built up Klal completely. Not only that, Alpi Alocha, the Rambam tells us that there's a progression that needs to be uh, achieved before building the Beit Hamidash. Number one, you have to appoint a king. Once you appoint a king, that king is supposed to destroy Amalek, and then as a result of all of that, once you've destroyed Amalek, you can you can uh, build the Beit Hamidash. And so David Amalek had a mitzvah to defeat all the enemies of Klal Israel to provide an opportunity to build a, to build the Beit Hamidash. Once you've defeated all enemies and have ushered in a an era of peace and security, then the king would be called upon to build the Beit Hamidash. This is how we understand, you know, from uh, from the Rambam in Hilchot Melachim, the very first opening halacha uh, that the Rambam brings there. First, you appoint the king, you know, you and then you 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 take care of uh, Amalek, and then you build the Beit Hamidash. Now, this therefore suggests that all the all the milchamot that David Melech fought were legitimate, and it was part and parcel of destroying the enemy so that Amishah could live in peace and the Beit Hamidash could be, uh, you know, could be, could be built. Um, another interesting point that Rasulavetik made was that um, when you look at, when you look at Shlomo Amelech and the Tanakh in, in Divra Yamim talks about Shlomo Amelech's time as being such where it says, Hu ish menucha v'anichoti lo mikoloivav misaviv you know he you know he's going to be this this uh, this this man of manucha of 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 uh, tranquility peace rest and uh, I'll grant him you know peace from all his enemies all around him vachinoti skipping a pasuk vachinoti kisai malchutu al israel adolam you know and I will establish his, the throne of his kingdom over Amisrael forever. These are psukim that, that at first glance speak about uh, Shlomo HaMelech, um, but you're then going to ask yourself the following question. Um, yes, among Shlomo, by Shlomo HaMelech, peace did prevail. The question is, but for how long? It wasn't exactly a, a, a long time. Already during Shlomo HaMelech's life, you know, his his kingdom was, was starting to fall apart. You know, his... Uh, this the civil war that eventually erupted after he died between his son Rehavam and Yeravam. I mean, Yeravam tore the kingdom apart after Shlomo Melech died. But even during Shlomo Melech's reign, you know, when he began to criticize Shlomo Melech and rebel against him, you know, Yeravam becomes a fugitive later in Egypt. But already during Shlomo Melech's time, it's possible to, to understand that the empire wasn't that uh, stable. You know, would you say that Shlomo Melech's time is really equivalent to, you know, Menucha Venachala? You know, essentially, 
what the Pasuk says when in Sefer Devarim, where Kosh Baruch Hu will bring us to the Beit HaMikdash in peace, peace from all our enemies. You know, this is, is this, is this the Yishroh Melech's a description of this vision as well. You know, this uh, Pasuk in Sefer Devarim, Menucha uh, Nachala, you could, you could really question whether this happened in, in Shoma Melech's time uh, as well, because, okay, there was, a, there was a certain amount of time, but it doesn't really sound like it really was realized. And, and therefore, the promise has to be a promise, not that would be in Shoma Melech's time. It must be the promises much further down the track, and that is Yemoto Mashiach. The Davidic line will produce Shlomo Melech, and he will produce uh, after him, and but not not before Mashiach comes, uh, will there be this universal peace that uh, the psukim here, the here promise, and then and therefore the, the you know the promise, the pledge of Menucha Vanachala or Yeshayahu's prophecy, you know, this this will only come true when uh, when um, the Binyan Beit Hamidash. You know, happens and Mashiach is uh, Mashiach is ushered in, and so yeah, the, this is how the Rav interprets this over here. He feels that uh, even Shlomo Amelech, that he was able to build the Beit Hamikdash, he wasn't building the Beit Hamikdash that that David Amelech could have built. In other words, if David Amelech would have built the Beit Hamikdash, um, the, using the same idea. You know, from the midrash that um, that that the Orachim used, Lagabai Moshe Rabbeinu, if David Amelech would have built the Beit Hamidrash because of all the all the Masirut Nefesh he invested, no power in the world would have been able to destroy it. You know, so you know, not Nebuchadnezzar nor Titus. You know, they wouldn't have been able to destroy the Beit Hamidrash um, if David Amelech had built it. Um, and therefore, but because Amishal didn't deserve it, Amishal weren't of the of the spiritual level to be able to deserve this kind of kedusha infused by David Amelech into the Beit Hamidrash, and therefore the Beit Hamidrash had to be used as collateral. So yeah, David Amelech wouldn't be able to build the Beit Hamidrash, and um, you know, uh, it, David Amelech's structure would have been as permanent as Moshe Rabbeinu's. It would have been a continuation of Moshe Rabbeinu's. In fact, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu might have himself been Melech HaMashiach, but, um, but David HaMelech would have had the same kind of kind of uh, koyach. And therefore, David HaMelech, as the personification of, of, of the Messianic concept, the father of Mashiach, you know, he will eventually build the Beit HaMikdash and usher in this, uh, this great and blissful era, era of uh, Menucha Nachara. You know, that's the Either that kind of Beit Hamidrash he has to build or not build it at all. And so this is why David HaMelech was not able to build uh, the Beit HaMikdash um, because it needed to be, so to speak, erased by the enemy or destroyed in the plan of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the, and the Beit HaMikdash he would have been able to build would have lasted forever. And so the same conclusion that we that Orachim reaches Lagabe Moshe Rabbeinu, that Am Yisrael Moshe Rabbeinu was worthy really. It was Kal Yisrael who wasn't, and therefore our Baruch had to find an exit strategy for for Moshe Rabbeinu. Same thing, yeah. David Amelech was worthy, and and Am Yisrael Am Yisrael w- w- was not.
And now you have to try and see if you can fit the Rasulavetic suggestion. You have, you have to work quite hard to fit them into the psukim. You know, you've got to try and see if you can get this to make sense. And so when Akosh Baruch says, So, you know, quoting that, that Pasuk again in Divra Ayamim. So uh, when Akosh Baruch tells David HaMelech that, you know, there, this is like, he, it's as if Akosh Baruch is telling him, you know, I'm Israel aren't ready now. You can't build, a, you don't build the Beit HaMikdash now. You have to continue to fight because the Milchamot are not coming to an end. And in fact, after David HaMelech has this whole conversation with Akosh Baruch Hu, and Natan Anavi is with him, the Tanakh tells us that he becomes engaged in a war with the with the Plishtim. Um, you know, straight, straight after this whole conversation. So Akush Baruch is telling him that you have to continue to fight. That's that's what it sort of seems to me to seems to the Rav to how he understands his psukim over here. That uh, you know you're going to have to become engaged in war. You know you're going to have a temporary your mission to build the Beit Hamidrash is going to have a temporary pause but not forever. You know, you, you've been summoned to eradicate evil, to defend justice, to destroy Amalek, and, uh, and only thereafter will, uh, you know, will you usher in a, a child who will continue the, the, the line of David and Melech, and only when the last battle will be fought, the Gog and Magog, so to speak, will you be able to rest from all your enemies, and then will I summon you to, to build the Beit Amigdash that you want to build. But in the, in the meantime, in the interim between your, your desire to build the Beit HaMikdash and my promise to you that you will be able to build the Beit HaMikdash, it's going to be hundreds of thousands of years in between. And in the, in the, in the interim, I have to be satisfied with a Beit HaMikdash that's just temporary, which your son, Shlomo HaMelech, you know, will, will build for me. So basically, there are two promises here, says Rasulavetchik. One promise is that the final Beit Hamidrash will be built by David Amelech. He's as holy as Pinchas is. If zealotry is used, l'shem shamayim, and then it's then you know it has the bracha. Uh, it'll be built by David by the Melech Hamashiach, the, the extension of David Amelech. And the second promise is that a temporary structure will be constructed by Shlomo Amelech, and that's what the pasuk says. You know who's the person? You know. That's going to come. Uh, now, this is this is really, you know, the person who's going to fulfill the pasuk can't refer to Shlomo Amelech. Shlomo Amelech's kisai was not uh, was not established adolam. It was a temporary scenario, and uh, already his son lost half of the half of the kingdom. How can the Navi say that it refers to Shlomo Amelech? But it must be that it refers to Melech Hamashiach. Uh, and that's how he wants to interpret um, how these psukim need to be read in such a way that Akosh Baruch Hu is not saying no to David HaMelech about building the Beit HaMidash. He's saying to him, no for now. But there will be a Beit HaMidash that you uh, or your, your, your progeny will be able to build 
which will be like as if you built the Beit HaMikdash. If you would have built it now, it, it would not be able to be destroyed. When your son builds it, in other words, Yemotah HaMashiach builds it, Melech HaMashiach builds it, same thing, it will never be, able to be destroyed. But what's going to happen in the meantime? In the meantime, your son will build a, a Beit HaMikdash. But the Beit HaMikdash is going to be, is going to be uh, temporary. And so, yeah, um, what we, if, 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 with using this particular theory, we, uh, we possibly can come along and answer, you know, what uh, what we started off with, and that is, is there really a big difference between David Amelech and Pinchas? Um, and uh, and the answer, according to this theory, would be that no, they were both the same. They both they both should have had the ability to bring Brit Shalom to everybody, even though they were zealous and they were, you know, they they got into the they got into wars L'shem Shemaim. But that for that very reason, they put their lives, our lives on the line. That's why they should have been the perfect shlichim to build the Beit Hamidrash. Uh, so why didn't they? Because it was, they were too good. They were they were they were too perfect. Am Yisrael was not ready be mot Moshe Rabbeinu, and Am Yisrael was not ready be mot David Hamelech. And this Beit Hamidrash that will not never be destroyed, the so-called Beit Hamidrash with David Hamelech's imprint on it, that would have to wait until. Uh, so this is two different ways of trying to uh, approach this question, you know, as to what do we say about Kanaut in a way. Um, you could also you could also argue with me and say that Kanaut is not the same as going to war, but uh, I think it, I think uh, you know they, you know it might be a little bit different, but uh, they could they could also they could be seen as as quite similar. Uh, the fact that you have to uh, that you have to go and uh, and mamish fight l'shem shemayim is uh, a kind of expression of kanaut. So um, the poshup shat, the simple pshat obviously is is that David Amelech uh, represents the opposite of the Beit Hamidrash. The Beit Hamidrash represents peace and menucha, and David Amelech is an Ishmael Chama. That's how we all taught to read Tanakh, as let's call it, you know, the the simple meaning of the of the text. Yeah, we've uh, we've we've tried to expand a little bit and see it differently. That possibly David Amelech was like Pinchas, and he should have got the you know he uh, Pinchas was able to get the reward, um, but David Amelech wasn't because of the nature of where Chayyusha were holding, you know, at the time. Same as Moshe Rabbeinu. All right, so I will uh, leave it there. If there any uh, questions or different interpretations, you're welcome to. Speaking about, yeah, Rav. Um, if the whole problem about with Moshe Rabbeinu and and David Amelech was that the people weren't on the same level, I'm presuming that when Mashiach comes, we we all will be on this, on the correct level. But is there a guarantee that will happen? I mean, it is a good point that you say that um, you know. That Gemara that says either Mashiach would come because we are desperate, because we aren't going to reach the level at all, and therefore Kosh Baruch Hu brings it because otherwise we would be in serious trouble. Um, if that theory is true, then you know you've got a good argument against what I'm saying here. Um, if, if we are deserved, you know, the Rambam thinks that Amisha will do tshuva, and therefore we will be deserved, but. The other theory may be that we uh, we just are so desperate. It's like Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Because Baruch takes us out because he promised us. 
And there, you know, it's a good question. You could say, how do you build the Beit Hamidash when Klal Yisrael aren't really worthy, worthy but what rescues them? You might have to then say that there's maybe a staged process. Hashem takes us out of Mitzrayim or, or defeats Amalek, uh, even though we aren't worthy, but then ushers in a an educational reform uh, where everybody is inspired by the Menach HaMashiach to, yes, become worthy. Mm. Um, and then once people are worthy, then yeah, then it's then it's congruent with what we're saying now. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Thanks, Rav. All right, guys, have a good Shabbos and uh, thanks, Rav. Thanks. Uh, the Levi, as you know, is tomorrow, but I don't know how many. There's only a hundred people allowed there. Are there going to be any prayers, or are they not allowed to have prayers? Um, I mean, the short answer is no, there's no prayers. But the long answer is that, you know, there might be a way of, you know, there, there are those out there who are doing uh, minyonim, um, you know, basically, you know, Rabbi Ullman got a heter to do a minyan as a, a memorial service if you will, for 10 people. So it's possible that we could make a minion there. <clears throat> Ruff, if someone's sitting shiver, can they still go out for a walk? Like, can you go and visit him and say, let's go for a walk? Or do you, or? I would say no, because um, it's not different from a regular shiver, unless unless there's a real mental issue. You know what I mean? Like, it's like it becomes uh, vital for somebody to, to have that comp company. Then, you know, this is exactly what Corona has really highlighted here. You know, this... Uh, so, Ravi, if there's someone who's sitting Shiva, can you take them for a walk? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do it unless the person who's sitting Shiva is really, really suffering. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Right. All right. We should have the Sorotovo. Take care. Yeah. Rob, just a last question. When you yeah. were describing the situation uh, with Shlomo Amelech and the turmoil that was happening in his family, yeah, uh, like uh, accept that. But but what was happening on a more macro level with the world and and how Shlomo Amelech and Amisol were regarded? I mean, couldn't couldn't you couldn't you argue that it was in fact uh, you know that type of peace that was spoken about in the pesukim? Yeah, look, you know, until I saw this idea from Rasolovetchik, I, I, I thought like you thought, meaning, yeah, you would you would say, okay, look, it was Munucha, it was Nachala, there was peace for a certain amount of years. Um, this is like a very interesting Hiddushtika angle that you're saying that, okay, it's peace, but how long did the peace last for? But yeah, for the for the couple of decades that Stoma Melech was in power, look, he reigned completely for 40 years, right? So out of the 40, you know, um, what, what do you say about it? You know, how long did it take to start unraveling with, uh, you know, with your other? It's just a very interesting, I, I never thought of it. Uh, I never thought to even read those psukim like Absolvatik uh, read them. It was just a really interesting chidush here. I definitely would say it's a chidush, meaning the posture chat is like we were normally taught that, uh, you know, there was no greater time in the Commonwealth of Kal Israel, then under Shlomo Amelech, we were never wealthier, we were never more powerful, we were never more at peace, about, you know, from our enemies. 
But there the, is an interesting point here. That is that, you know, how do you say, and this is, you know, establish your seat forever, where literally within a generation, it's already gone. So, you know, I think uh, there, is, there, is what to, uh, there is what to question here. It's like, uh, you know, when we question um, the, the celebration of Hanukkah, you know. So we have, a, we must make a whole uh, song and dance with Hanukkah, Halal, everything. And so you ask, you know, what was the miracle? You know, so, okay, we talk about two different miracles. There's the military victory and then there's the Nairot Hanukkah. Um, when you talk about the military victory, so the victory... Uh, you know, on when you look at it and you freeze time, yeah, it's amazing. We rebelled against the Greeks, we overtook them, we destroyed them, we 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 chucked them out of the Beit Amigdash, and we we ushered in, um, you know, a, 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 an era of redemption, uh, or or independent sovereignty for 200 years. So, yeah, it's true, but when you look at the top of you know. Already, like within a decade of the Hanukkah story, there was infighting, civil war. There was, yeah, we, we had 200 years of, of of sovereignty, and the Romans or Greek the, didn't get us, but but uh, we had our own troubles. Meaning, like, and then eventually, of course, it fell to the Romans. But so you ask yourself, man, how many years was it that there was actual complete peace without any civil war or any strife or any? And then you see, there's you know what, nine, ten years. Um, so it is interesting, you know, when, when you try and work out that military victory, what do you, what, what do you say about it? The, the miracle is definitely there, but how long does it last? And, you know, could you, you know, there are two ways of looking at it, I guess. You know, you could say, well, we've got 200 years of sovereignty. And then you could say, well, you know, that sovereignty were dotted by uh, so, many, uh, it, so many conflicts that it's hard to say that that's like, you know, mamish the peace. It doesn't say we won't celebrate it, but it's like, you know, this is the, you know, this is the way, there's always these two different angles of looking at something. The, the messianic vision that seems to be described in the Psukim, you know, this is uh, what Rasulvaitzik is is missing from, from Shlomo Melech too. And uh, yeah, I have to admit, I agree with you. In other words, I, until I saw it, um, I didn't, I didn't think like that. I thought that, wow, you know, the, ba the base didn't stop accepting converts because it was like everybody wanted to be Jewish at the time, you know. So, uh, yeah, it is an interesting question whether, you know, I guess this is the nature of the, you know, two different ways of looking at things. The thing that I, you know, I'd never, I'd never really, I'd never contemplated this story with comparing David Amelech and Pinchas. I'd had the, I had the question all the time with David Amelech myself. Meaning, like, whenever you learn about it, you know, or even Tanakh, learn about it, couldn't understand how David Amelech wasn't Zoyche to build the Beit Amidash. And this Kirushim Lorachayim, you know, definitely resonated with me. But um, just this little, this little Kirush uh, of comparing it to Pinchas was a nice, uh, you know, was a nice, a nice Indian. Yeah. Thanks, Rav Shkach. Okay. Thanks, Rav Shkach. Okay, cheers, guys. Anyway. Bye.